Father, we love you. Even when we don't know what tomorrow brings. Even when we have things in our life that we are unsure about. Even when in our lives seem like chaos. And we need you to answer. We know that you are faithful. Psalm 121 says you have watched us from our coming and going. And you will from now and forevermore. Jesus, we thank you. God, let our worship be not defined by our situation in life. Not defined by our emotions. Let our worship of you be defined by who you are. And God, you are constant. You never change. Day after day after day. God, you are faithful. Amen. Thank you so much, Jordan and Whitney and Jonathan. In the spirit of of worship, with the words of that song, Waiting Here for You, let's let's bow uh, one more time and, and pray before we jump into the Word. Father, would you, would you speak to us today? As Jordan was saying, there's times in our lives where we just get so busy. We've forgotten to spend quality time with you. We've let the weeds and the thorns of this world choke out the Word that you've planted in our hearts. And God, would you forgive us for being busy? Lord, would you forgive us for blaming you for being what we call silent? When day after day after day, we may give you a minute here, a minute there, if that. Lord, I want to wait for you. Because if it your power is not on this message and on our worship, whether we do older songs or newer songs. Lord, it's all in the power of the flesh. And Lord, I pray that you would impress upon every heart here that even if outside of church, if we live our lives based upon the power of the flesh, we will fail. And God, we ask today, I ask that you would just help us to walk through this text and to understand that just because we may not see you doing work doesn't mean that you're not there. Would you teach us, God, and when the invitation is given for the ones here who are unsaved, have never given their lives to you, who desperately need to be born again and transformed, God, would you help them to repent and be saved? In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 73 in your Bibles, this is the second week of our series on overcoming and dealing with doubt. Last week, we were here on Sunday morning, we looked at the myths of doubt and we looked at three. Um, the first was that normal Christians don't have doubt, right? 
It's one of those things that we think if we have doubts, then therefore we're not normal. We looked at scriptural precedent for those who've had doubt. We also looked at another uh, myth that doubt is the same as unbelief. It's not. Unbelief, like we looked at that statement from Elmer Towns last week, unbelief is kicking at a stone uh, that we know all too well. Whereas doubt is not understanding all about it. And also, finally, number three, we looked at um, the fact that doubt is not always an intellectual issue. In fact, um, if you talk to people who've done a lot of counseling with those who have had doubts in their lives about the Lord, they will tell you that the overwhelming majority of doubts are come from experiences that we've had in our lives, bad things, not issues such as philosophy and we're not sure if this argument works or it usually doesn't come from something like, well, I took this science class and I heard this argument and therefore now I don't believe in God. But often, and this is what we're going to hone in on on Psalm 73. And if you don't have a Bible, we have them on the pews. I'd encourage you to grab one. We're just going to walk through this. What usually happens when we begin to doubt is often, this is what happens. When what we believe Believe the Bible says somehow clashes with reality. It's like this. God, if you were there and you cared, why didn't you keep my marriage together? God, if you actually existed or if you cared, why did you let my spouse die? Why did you let my child die? Why did we have a miscarriage? All of those types of things and we pray and we fast, and we seek after the Lord. You say, God, why did my friend die from cancer? My friend took care of, they took care of their body. Why did this happen? Lord, it seems like we searched your word. It seems like we're trying to live for you. But it seems like you didn't answer when all through the Bible you tell us things like you care. In fact, the beginning of the book of Psalms, the first Psalm says that the righteous are like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears forth its fruit in season. That means that when you love God and when you follow God, you will prosper. But when you read further in the book of Psalms, it's almost like, and the book of Psalms is broken up into five separate compartments. Um, If you're a Bible scholar and you want to go deep, let me give those to you. Book 1 goes from chapters 40, uh, chapter 1 through 41. Book 2 goes from chapters 42 through 72. Book 3, chapters 73 through 89. Book number 4 goes from chapter 90 through 106. And book 5 goes through from book um, uh, chapter number 107 through 150. And it's very interesting when you read through the Psalms because the first uh, 41 or so books speak about the amazingness. I don't even know if that's a word. All right, English people, I just made it up. The incredible power of God and how how good it is to walk and, and follow God. And then Psalm 42, it's almost like the brakes are put on. And the psalmist kind of steps back and says, I know that I, I, that I believe the Lord is good, but I'm trying to follow the Lord and things go bad for me. I look at around at people who don't care about the Lord and things, seems to go, things seem things to go good for them. 
And then it continues to progress throughout the book. And if you read through the book of Psalms, you know, the last chapters there are almost like coming back to full circle. In fact, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down a book that if you have gone through the death of someone uh, who is a loved one, uh, go get the book by C.S. Lewis called The Problem of Pain. The Problem of Pain. It's about his wife's horrific, terrible death from cancer. And about how C.S. Lewis, the one who wrote tons of Christian books, he's the one who, who did Chronicles of Narnia, and if they would have just stuck with the book, it would have been a ten times better movie. Can I get an amen? Right, like, just stick with the book. He's smarter than you are, right? I never understand. Let me get off. I never understand how people want to rewrite the works of great authors. Anyway, I feel better. That's out of my system. But when his wife died, he had what some people call a crisis of faith. And then he began to doubt. He began to say things like, God, if you really cared, this would not have happened. And the book traces his journey, and it's almost like a, a little walk through the entire book of Psalms. 150 chapters, and he ends up coming full circle. And notice how this begins. This is a psalm written by a godly man named Asaph. He says, truly God is good to Israel, in verse 1, to those who are pure in heart. Can I get an amen? Right? God is good to those who follow him. But, as for me, she's being real. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Well, what caused his steps to almost slip? Verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant. In the Hebrew, this means he was heated up on the inside. When I saw the prosperity, and that word in the Hebrew is shalom. When I saw the peace and the prosperity of the wicked. Now let's just stop right there for just a moment. What Asaph is saying is that God, in the first verse, I know that you're good. I know that you bless those who love you. But here's where I have almost stumbled and fallen in my faith. God, I'm being honest. You're good. I'm trying to follow you. But there's some serious issues I have with what I see in the world. And if all of us could be very honest, we've been there too, haven't we? We say, God, it's where truth clashes with experience. It's where this doesn't seem to line up with what we see in the world. What we've experienced. What we see on the news. What we see happening in the schools. What is said about us by people who don't even know us. And he says... His steps had almost stumbled. Here's our driving thought. Just because it seems like God is silent doesn't mean He's there. Can I get an amen before we really unpack that? Amen? Just because, right, it seems like God is silent doesn't mean that He's not there. Let me give you a picture. Um, when I uh, we lived in Florida for a few years, and we did something down there that is known in Franklin County as four-wheeling. No amens. Y'all know what four-wheeling is, right? I mean, it is where you get out there and you get in the biggest four-by-four you can get into and you get in the mud and you on purpose devalue the value of your vehicle, right? But you get more redneck points for it, amen? Okay? You get out there and you mud. Well, I had a friend in Florida and he drove what's called a Volkswagen Jetta, 
Right? Number one mudding vehicle on the planet. Right? You guys are like, I got, I got you. Front wheel drive, and he thought that this thing was a 4x4. Four four. So he takes me, and, and we were going out shooting, right? We were going shooting way out in a place called the Compound there in Florida. It was a failed um, project back in the 70s. They went in and paved roads and ready for the houses, and somebody's like, I don't want to live in a swamp, so there's nothing out there. You can just go mud at the compound or go four-wheeling. So we begin to go, and he, he took a ramp through this one mud hole, and we bottomed out in another, and it sucked uh, water up into the gas intake, and we were stuck. And we're talking, I'm not talking small s stuck, I'm talking all caps, font size 96 stuck. All right, I mean, we're talking about the frame is bottomed out, tires are just rolling in mud. So, but he had pulled the trailer with my dirt bike. So here I get on my dirt bike and he said, go find some help. So I go looking for me a redneck, right? That's what you want, right? You don't want some guy in a suit and tie coming. I mean, you want a red capital neck. I mean, or you know, I mean, you want him so he can't even understand him, right? So I went out looking for me a good old boy. And just cruising through the compound. And, and I saw a truck where I figured, if percentages hold true, there may be a redneck in that truck. And guess what? It were true. And so I told him, and if you have ever been in that situation, you can tell a man who likes pulling people out of the mud. You know why? Because he loves pulling people out of the mud. Because once he's pulled them out of the mud, they say, nice truck. And he goes, well... Because that's what he lives for, right? I mean, if you can take, if you've pulled 15 people out of the mud, you've got more, way more redneck points than anybody else. So they came, and the only way they could pull him out, because he couldn't get the car started, is they hooked a tow strap to the front, I guess it's the underhook. Mechanics, is that what it is? Tow strap, tow hook, alright. Tow hook, that's a, that's a wrestling move, right? The flying tow hold. Anyway, moving on. And he pulled us, and we got into the car. I remember that. I had my dirt bike parked up near the road. We got into the car, and being pulled through the mud, he was spinning out because it was deep, and you would have never imagined that much mud could get on a windshield. We were there getting pulled behind. It was a short leash, and man, the mud was just piling on those windshield wipers. were. I mean, they were having trouble. I mean, it's kind of like the Congress when they're going to get anything done. I mean, it's just slow moving. And then once we got out, it's about two inches of mud caked on the front windshield. And I was studying this message. I said, you know, often that's us when it comes to the silence of God. Often we say, Lord, I can't see anything. I think something's happening. We couldn't tell if he was pulling us off a mountain into another ditch. We could not tell. But we trusted him to pull us to where we needed to be. And often in our life, we've got all sorts of stuff hitting the windshield. And then if you're like me sometimes, we can be like Asaph and say, Lord, I have truth, but I have experience. And whenever my windshield begins to be clogged up with the things of this world, with bad experiences, often I begin to doubt, I begin to freak out, and I begin to put on the brakes. Just because we can't see through the windshield, or just because we can't see totally clear through it, does not mean that God is not the one towing us out of a mud hole. And notice how Asaph begins to break this down. Verse 3, notice, he doesn't say, I was envious of the wicked when I saw them existing. He says, when I saw the prosperity. 
prosperity of those who hate God. Now, let me define this before we go on. Because often sermons like this are like, boy, I can't wait till this gets on the internet. I'm going to accidentally send that link to a friend I know, right? The person who the Bible describes as wicked or evil is not necessarily someone like Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler. It is speaking of a person whom God has blessed, track with me, who God has blessed, who God has given life, but refuses to give anything to God in return. It's the person that God has given, as we'll see just in a few moments, health, money, friends, a good family. They don't read the Bible. They don't care about God. They don't ever give to missions. They may go to church once every blue moon because life is about them. And they don't even understand because they've rejected God that everything they have except for hell is a gift from God. We all understand that. Are we on the same page? The only reason why we're here and we're not si- our body's not six feet under and we are alive in hell for all eternity is because of the mercy of God. That's it. None of us are good. Are we okay this morning? A little too worked up? Are y'all alright? Can we roll with this? Okay? All of us deserve hell. Plain and simple. But because God is rich in mercy, He gives us a chance to repent and to be saved. If you're not saved here today, you say, what does God want me to do? He wants you to repent and get saved. Amen? He wants you to give your life to Him and He'll change you. Say, well, what does God want me to do once I'm saved? To follow Him with everything that you are. Notice verse 4. Here is what happens when the silence of God comes in our life. Here's when we begin to doubt. When we begin to see evil people prosper. You say, Jeff, what kind of prospering? Verse 4. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That is a Hebrew uh, picture of what they consider to be healthy. What the Bible is saying here is that I see people who don't care about God, who don't love God, but they're healthy. You ever known a Christian who's died of a painful disease? Someone who loved Jesus and the church prayed for him and they still died? And then you look at someone who, I mean, they take, they don't take care of their bodies at all. No exercise. No dieting. You're like, man, beach body won't even work for me. I mean, when I look at an apple, I gain 45 pounds, right? And I look at these people who don't even take care of themselves, and it seems like they're up in years and they're doing fine, can eat anything they want. And this is where this text hit home for me. Uh, many of you know about my brother Jordan who passed away from cancer. It bothered me. It profoundly bothered me for a number of months. I said, this kid had 6% body fat. Not just because he had a fast metabolism. He worked out like a fiend. He finished first in conditioning as a freshman on a legit university basketball team. He was very healthy. He had conditioned himself to eat those things that are nasty that will help you. You know what I'm talking about? It, what, what is it about things that are na- nasty that are good for you? He did that, and then he, di- he dies of cancer. And then I go out and I see people abusing their bodies who had lived twice as long as him or more. And it's where truth clashes with experience. Notice verse 5. 
When we see this, it can cause us to doubt. They are in trouble. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. This means those people that we know who don't follow God, but you see them and they see you say, how are you doing? Oh, we just got back from a vacation over in Venice. Seems like they don't have problems. You see, Jeff, I tithe. I work. I work so much when I come home and I try to watch TV, I'm out. That much. My brain is tired. My hands are tired. My back is tired. I'm exhausted. I work. I give. But it seems like I can't ever get ahead. But I know somebody, and they don't even care about God. And what's it say? They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. It means means that they they evade bad times. When the bad times come, it's like the death angel and just passes over them. Notice verse number 6. What do these people do? Therefore, it says, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Malice, understand it as trying to assassinate people with your words. Hardcore gossip. Loftily, they threaten oppression. It's the crooked businessman. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. In other words, what these people, what they, when we see people who don't follow God, you say, well, man, they should at least give the Lord some credit, right? But what does Asaph see? He sees God blessing these people and what they turn around is they act arrogantly towards people. They don't help people. They just amass more and more for themselves. And not only that, they begin to blaspheme God. They're like, God, who are you? I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. reason why I have what I have is because I've worked for it. Often that's true, but there are no self-made men and no self-made women. Everything, even the abilities that we have, come from the Lord. And then in verse 10, he says, okay, here's what happens when people see that. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. In other words, what he's saying is that God, we think you're in control, but when people see people who don't care about you and don't love you, what happens is that people begin to doubt. We'll say, well, if they're getting away with it, then maybe that means that God doesn't care at all. Notice how it goes further. And in verse number 11, they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? This is the type of person that we see that says, God can't stop me. Verse number 12, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. Have you ever been to that stop in your life before to where you say, Lord, I don't understand. Here it is. God, I pray for your deliverance and you don't deliver me. These people never pray and they don't have any problems. And then thoughts of doubt about God's goodness and his existence begin to creep into our heart. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray. But notice verse 13. This is what has happened to many of us. Asaph says, you know what? All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You know what he's saying here? Is that God, I'm writing this out, but if I actually told people what I had experienced, they might, God, they might choose not to believe in you anymore. 
Things like divorce, things like domestic violence in the home, things like financial catastrophe to where the job is lost and the bills come in and there's nothing, there's no way to make the ends meet. Those types of things can cause people to assume, many of us, if we're honest, to assume what Asaph said, that God, it seems like it's all in vanity. It's empty, and if I had it to do it over again, I may not even worry about following you. Often thoughts like that may creep in, but but notice here in verse number 16. Here's where it changes. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Can I get an amen on a Sunday morning at Rocky Mount Baptist Church? You say, God, when I try to put all that together of how you're in control, but it looks like the people who deserve nothing have everything. And those who, we know that we don't deserve anything, Lord, but we're trying to follow you. Could you just give us a little break every now and then? Could you give us a breather? It says right here, it was a wearisome task. Let's we'll stop right here. Imagine if you had been an Israelite living in that 400 years of silence. Remember the, the, the gap? If you, if you don't know this, this may be helpful to you when you read the Bible. Between the Old and the New Testament, there's 400 long years to where there were no prophets, there was no real preaching, there was no real Word of God given. Imagine, now not everybody in that time was corrupt. Imagine if you had been a Jewish man or a Jewish woman. You had wanted to follow the Lord, but God had just chosen to make that period of time a period of silence. There were generations who lived and died during that time. But often, please grab a hold of this this morning. I hope this encourages you if you're a Christian and you're going through difficult times. You're experiencing the silence of God. 400 years praying, God send us a prophet, no prophet. God send us someone to truly preach the word, no one. Prophetically. Then somebody tell me what happened at the end of the 400 years. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Are y'all excited this morning? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was given to the world after 400 years of sun-baked drought. You should be encouraged by that. Because there were those people... Anna, there was the man, right, right, you had Anna and she was a prophetess there in the temple and she was waiting for the Lord saying, He told me, the Lord gave me a vision that I'd see Jesus before I died. And she's there and she's serving the Lord. And one day they bring in baby Jesus and the silence is broken. But what often happens in that 400 years is you and I begin to be Asaph and we say, God, it's all in vain. Hang on. On. Just because we don't hear the Lord, just because we may not sense Him, does not mean that He is not there. Let me give you another example. If you want to make this note in your Bible, this comes from Dr. Gary Habermas. I had never, the times I've read Genesis through, I had never picked up on this. Between Genesis 16 and 17, chapter 16 ends, guess how old Abraham is? He's 86 years old. Next chapter, 13 years later when he's 99. Go with me on this. 
God had promised Abraham when he was 86 years old to provide a son. Not Ishmael, right? But that, that was just a Jerry Springer episode in the Old Testament. Let me give you the skinny of it. God promised Abraham, I will give you a son through which all nations will be blessed. They're old. Up in years, as we say it. And Sarah, his wife, is kind of like, I know that God is God, but honey, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken. I don't have to spell it out for y'all. Y'all are rolling with me, right? Like we're we're tracking together. Like I'm not young anymore. So God said he's going to give me a baby. But like honestly, how many women in maybe their 80s and their 90s in prayer meeting, do we have any praises? (laughs) Me and Harry got another one on the way, right? Like, Like how often does that happen? You know, and he's back there like, right on. I mean, like seriously, it doesn't happen. So... So she begins to doubt, and then she does what some of us do. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong? Come on now. Have you ever done something you know... Thanks, Kat, you're with me. All right. you ever done something you know is wrong, but you do it anyway because you think that by doing that thing that may be a little bit sketchy, you're going to do the right thing, but then when you do the wrong thing to get to the right thing, you realize that the whole thing's just messed up, Okay. What she did is she said, honey, now, ladies, I don't, I don't, I'm not a woman, but I don't think that many women would go down this road. It's a cultural thing as well. She said, honey, I have a maid servant. Why don't you be intimate with her? And then through that, the son will be legally ours, although biologically hers and yours. Ladies, I... Doesn't 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 register. Ishmael was born, but the Bible between chapter sixteen and chapter seventeen, listen, thirteen years of silence. Now we can't be dogmatic about that. Maybe the Lord did speak to Abraham during that time, but the text doesn't say. So we've got to stay with what the Bible says. Imagine you're Abraham. You're eighty six. God says, "I'm going to give you a son." After year five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Didn't God tell me? You know, and you're in your nineties. And God finally, supernaturally, provides a son. Thirteen years of silence. Just because God may not answer what we want Him to answer and the time frame that we want Him to answer it in does not mean that He doesn't answer prayer. Notice, this is where it begins to get good. Alright? So he's absolutely exhausted there in verse 16. He says, this seemed to me a wearisome task Help me out somebody, verse 17, until, this is where it gets good, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. You know what he said? You know what he's saying? Is that I, it doesn't make any sense trying to fit together a good God, an all-powerful God, until I went to the tabernacle, that's like Old Testament for church, and I heard somebody there reading the Bible, like a lot of times they wouldn't even give, they wouldn't even expound on they just read it. And then I was like, okay, so that's how they end up, the ones who reject God, and the ones who repent and follow God, no matter how bad it gets here. As John was teaching this morning in Sunday school, the end result for a believer is heaven with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So 
that's why he says right there that it is until I went there that it was a wearisome task and I had no answers. Notice how he unpacks it. Verse number 18. Truly, God, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Verse 20. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. You know what he's saying? Is that what... Please zone in because we live in such a crazy... Can I get a witness? Dude, we live in somewhat of a crazy society. Amen? Right? Well, like good stuff is called weird. And if you're crazy, it's like, well, you're just expressing yourself. Stop expressing yourself, okay? Right? I'm not talking about like different styles of clothes or what. I'm talking about people who hurt other people. Well, he had his shoes too tight, tied too tight when he was a kid. I'm not even going to get into that. What looks like success? And notice what the Bible says here. It's speaking of God sets the wicked in slippery places. What may look like ultimate success to us in the end is eternal doom, eternal loss, eternal destruction for those who for just a moment in time, which for us may seem like years and decades, reject and blaspheme God. In the end, their feet slip. I'm just going to make a note here. If you are playing church, if you are planning on getting involved in some type of an affair, if you're planning on cheating on your spouse, if you're planning on doing something dishonest with your business, students, if you're planning on cheating on a test, if you're planning on doing anything along those lines, please understand that there is mercy with the Lord if you repent, but if you continue to live in your sin, that there is a time in which your feet will slip. Say, Jeff, man, it's hard today in temptation. I know. You can't even go to the store, especially for guys, without being tempted. You know, the stuff like by the gum, the, the magazines and so forth. Adrian Rogers said this. One guy said, you know, I've just been slipping. I've been slipping. I've been slipping. You know what Adrian Rogers said? He said, don't walk in slippery places. Now, I know to a certain degree we can't get away from some folks and some temptations, but there is something to be said for us making ways to avoid things that we know are going to destroy us. That's what it says in verse 20, 21. It says, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. You know what he's saying here? He's like, Lord, now I know what's going to happen in the end. Heaven for those who follow you. Hell for those who reject you. I was dumb. I was like, God, if my mind cannot understand and comprehend your silence and your theodicy and your theological syllogisms and so forth, I don't know what anything that means, but anyway, all of that, right? All of that stuff. If I can't understand it, then therefore, God, you must not be doing the right thing. Do you think, and this is what Philip Yancey said, he said, trying to explain God's ways, the way everything works together, why God is silent sometimes and why He gives this request here, he says, it's kind of like trying to explain Einstein to a clam. It's an interesting thought, right? And if you're like me, sometimes we can think far more about our own mind than we should. And just because we may not right now be able to put it all together doesn't mean that God can't put it all together. Together. Notice how this, this ends. Verse 23. The answer is found, and the answer is this. 
in the end, God does what is right. And then it turns to a praise song, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Amen? That means that during the times of silence, God is there even when we may not think He is. Verse 24. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. That means that during our lives, the Lord is teaching us every day through trials, through tribulations. And then when all of that junk is finished, then he takes us to heaven. And I want to let you know this morning that the second you got saved was the last time you will ever, ever be alone. Can I get a witness in the house? Once you get saved, Jesus comes and He indwells you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And He is going to be with you as it says, you hold my right hand, you give me your counsel. And then when you die, it's not going to change. We're going to be in the presence of God without any sin around forever and ever. Verse 25, and now it's kind of like a love song to the Lord. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth earth that I desire besides you. Let the cry of your heart this morning. Verse 26. My heart and my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. Read that in there. My protection, my provision, my retirement, my bill payer. I'm not talking about the thing online that you try to do that makes you cuss because it never will work. I'm talking about the one who truly takes care of you. My portion for how long, church? Verse 26. Forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Here's the purpose. That I may tell of all your works. Some of you have gone through times of silence. Said, Jeff, the prayers bounced off the ceiling. I think they did. I don't know. But the reason why the Lord allowed you to endure those times of silence and suffering is so that you may tell of how He meets your need once He brings you through the time of silence. And the cry of the Bible, Psalm 73, is once again, just because we may not see God working doesn't mean that He's not there. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. This is our time of commitment. And in any church... In the U.S. on any given Sunday, there are people, some of you have suffered horrific, horrific things in your life. People in churches have encountered and been through all sorts of abuse, neglect. For some of you, you say, Jeff, you're talking about trusting God through the times of silence. Well, it seems like when I grew up, I couldn't trust my mom or my dad or both. The people that I looked up to, there was a teacher who did this to me, or there was a co-worker who did this, or Jeff, I look back on my marriage before it's, it crashed and burned. I, did, I was trying, and, and that person, they betrayed me. They didn't want to work it out. They didn't want to go to counseling. They just said it's over, and I was devastated. How can I learn to trust again? Is there a way that I can learn to trust the Lord at all? Right now. Right now. To the Lord, just express to Him 
You desire for Him to set you free from the past. From the things that have happened, the things that, that, that have held you back from living for the Lord. Things like, you, you say, well, Jeff, I want to live for the Lord, but what if someone ever found out, I feel like I'm dirty because of what happened to me. The blood of Jesus can cleanse that. Ask the Lord right now. Say, oh God, would you give me faith? You'd be like the man in the Bible, one of the disciples, they said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Say, Lord, I want to believe in you, but I don't know if I can. It's just so hard. Ask the Lord to give you a breakthrough today. It's best you know your heart. Ask him to change it. Ask him to free you and tell him, just trust him today. Say, Lord, I'm just going to commit to follow you fully today. And for the ones who are experiencing a time of silence, often that comes with Things in, in, in life, whether it be job loss or, or relationship, earthquakes and so forth. Maybe, maybe it's your, your child is away from the Lord or, or there, there are problems at home. And students, there, there's problems at school. You've got people who will not leave you alone. Make fun of you for being a follower of God. For some Christians, you may just be, you say, Jeff, I'm just there every Sunday, but you may struggle with depression. You may be like incredibly, incredibly down when you're not with people. Or It's this time to just place your faith in the Lord once again and say, Lord, just because I may not sense you, I don't want to go off my feelings, but I want to trust you and believe that you are still there. Just volitionally from your heart, from your will, say, God, I trust you. I am rejecting trusting in my feeling. I'm trusting you. I know that you are there. Please help me, God. Ask him for a breakthrough. And finally, for the those who need to be saved, the Bible says that your sin has separated you from God. And if you died, God would give you justice, which would be separation from God a place called hell. The Bible also says that God loved you so much that He sent His Son to take your place on the cross. And Jesus died, and when He was raised again, the penalty was paid for all who would believe. That includes you. If you're ready for Christ to change your life, if you're ready for a, not just a brand new chapter, but a brand new book, trust Christ, repent, turn away from your sins, ask Him to be your Savior. This altar, this front area with these steps is going to be open during this invitation. If you need to come and pray for a friend of yours, family member who's experiencing incredible, incredible pain, we ask you to come and just bow the knee, the knee in humility to the Lord and pray for them, intercede for them. If you need to be saved, we ask you to just, or if you did that with the Lord there in your seat, just get up out of your seat and walk down. I'm going to be here in the center aisle. I'd love to take you by the hand and I want to pray for you. If you want to join this church, I encourage you to be obedient to the Lord. Often Christians don't hear from the Lord because they're disobedient. If you know that this is where you need to join up with, this is where the Lord has placed you, you're ready to serve, we encourage you to come. If you need to be baptized, we ask you to come and walk down the aisle as well and just take me by the hand. Say, Jeff, I'm ready to be baptized and we'll do it for you. Father, would you take control of this time of invitation? In Jesus' name, amen.